0: Dear
1: Father in heaven, thank you for this gathering of people. And may you join us and may we have a wonderful service here. Amen. Thank you, Fred. So, welcome. Can I turn around? If
2: you'd like, it's up to you, man.
1: I'm going to show a video in a moment, so it's up to you. (laughs) It's going to be this way. Unless you have eyes in the
3: back.
1: Yeah. You are a dad, you have eyes in the back.
3: (laughs) You got eyes in your ears too,
1: don't you? Mm-hmm. So, today uh, we are going to be—you know—we're going to be looking a little more at the Book of Esther. Oh, is anyone? There are no notes, by the way.
3: No notes
1: today. No notes. This is a hot off the press uh, study. So we're going to look at Esther a bit, and traditionally, you know, the book is read, and we, you know, we we're not going to read it from cover to cover. I'm going to sort of do a little bit of a a shotgun style, I think, and uh, see where where this takes us, and um, we'll go from there. Something that I was thinking about today is that the book of Esther, I think, is a good book to help us acquire. We talk about in the membership class about having a Jewish heart. Any of those, any of people who've gone through the membership know that we talk about it. What does it mean to have a Jewish heart? And that's one of uh, the questions we ask you to consider and answer. Not that there's necessarily a right or wrong answer there, but just consider what does that mean to have a Jewish heart. And I was thinking today, I think that the book of Esther uh, helps us to get, to acquire, not a Jewish heart, but I would say a Jewish mind, a Jewish mindset. Mm -hmm. And which is actually pretty important Pretty important. And it's not so much important so you can be part of a Messianic congregation necessarily, but in terms of understanding Jewish people, and quite frankly, understanding the Bible in a lot of cases, um, I believe that this book is really good to help you get a Jewish mindset. And so I, I do have a video I want to show you that, you know, no illustrations are perfect. It's a clip from a movie, a movie written by the Coen Brothers, if you know the Coen Brothers. Um, they write all kinds of quirky movies. And when I saw this clip years ago, you know, the rest of the movie, it's, it's whatever. It's called A Serious Man is the name of the movie, if you're familiar with it. But um, to me, I, I want you to watch it. And to me, it really is is a, a big part of kind of what it means to have a Jewish mindset. So, Floyd, if you, you can hit the lights there. And then, not the <laughs> if you can also go over here, Floyd, just maybe the sound. We'll, we'll that the light, just I don't a don't Serious to be too loud, Mind but, by the Coen Brothers. Uh, serious Man. A serious Man. man serious man. So if you're ready, this is a scene where this gentleman here, you see he is, uh had a lot of trouble in his, his life here he's with his wife, and he seems to be losing his wife, he seems to be having trouble with his job, and he goes to see the rabbi, and so the rabbi is the guy who he is who he's speaking with. So here's some Jewish mindset for you. Um, is Hashem trying to tell me that Cy Abelman is me, or that we are all
4: one, or something? How does God speak? A good question. You know Lee Sussman? Dr. Sussman? I
3: think, uh, yeah.
4: Did he ever tell you about the goy's teeth? No. Uh, what goy? So, Lee is at work one day. You know he has the orthodontic practice there at Great Bear. He's making a plaster mold. It's for corrective bridge work. In the mouth of one of his patients, Russell Krause the mold dries and lee is examining it one day before fabricating it he notices something unusual there appears to be something engraved on the inside of the patient's lower incisors ava shin I ayin nun hoshi Amy. Help me, save me. This, in a goi's mouth-iron. He calls the goi back in the pretense of needing additional measurements for the appliance. All right. Noticed any other problems with your teeth? No. There it is. Oh, she ain't. Help me. Son of a gun. Suspense goes on. Can suspense
2: eat?
4: Suspense can't eat. Can suspense sleep? susman can't eat.
0: at the of his other patients. Goy and Jew alike.
4: Seeking other messages, he finds none. He looks in his own mouth. Nothing. He looks in his wife's mouth. Nothing. But Sussman is an educated man. Not the world's greatest sage, maybe. No Rabbi Marsha. But he knows a thing or two about the Zohar and the Kabbalah. He knows that every Hebrew letter has its numeric equivalent, eight, four, five, four, four, seven, three, seven digits. A phone number. Hello? Do you know a going named Krause, Russell Krause? Who? Where have I called? The Red Owl in Bloomington. Thanks so much. Streets, what have you. Sussman goes home. What does it mean? He has to find out if he's ever to sleep again. He goes to see the Rabbi Dr. He comes in. He says, right where you're sitting right now. What does it mean, Rabbi? Is it a sign from Hashem, help me? I, Sussman, should be doing something to help his going on white to the teeth, don't say or maybe I'm supposed to help people generally lead a more righteous life. Is the answer in Kabbalah and Torah? Or is there even a question? Tell me, Rabbi, what can such a sign mean? Nothing.
2: <laughs>
4: so, what did you tell him? Suspense? Yes. Is it relevant? Well, isn't that what you're telling me? Okay. Not he says, so, look, the teeth, we don't know. Aside from his don't know. Helping others. Couldn't hurt. No, no, but who put it there? Was it for him, Sussman, or for whoever found it, or for just... For, for we can't know everything. It sounds like you don't know anything. Why even tell me the story? First I should tell you, then I shouldn't. What happened to Sussman? What would happen? Not much. He went back to work. For a while he checked every patient's teeth for new messages. He didn't find any. In time, he found he stopped checking. He returned to life. These questions. Maybe they're like a toothache.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Feel them for a while, then they go away. <laughs> I don't want it to just go away. I want an answer. Sure, we all want the answer. Hashem doesn't owe us the ancillary. Hashem doesn't owe us anything. The obligation runs the other way. Why does he make us feel the questions if he's not going to give us any answers? <sighs> he hasn't told me. <laughs> I'm out of no help. <laughs> and what happened to the Goy? The Goy?
1: Who cares? <laughs> Sigh, <Siam. laughs> Ableman. All right, all right. Uh, Hold on a second. I do Who cares? Uh, oh, that's so.
2: terrible. <laughs> so, so, so. I don't know
1: what you think about that. When I saw that... I don't know. You know, I, I think the reason it's, it, I think it's it's a part of the Jewish mindset. It's not just the Jewish mindset. Does anyone have any thoughts about that before I give my opinion? By well, the way?
3: only thing I think is, you know, okay, is that desire to know. You, I mean, that that's part of the Jewish mind that I want to know. I want to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so I think that's really a part of it. Mm-hmm. And also. I think that—well, that that's mainly—also, you know, the rabbi saying, you know, I don't know, I like the way he, he said, should we have questions, should we—you know, all those things. Is it okay to ask the question? Should we have questions? Well, you know, just really trying to come to grips with something, mm-hmm. trying to understand. I think that's part of the Jewish mindset. Okay. But that doesn't always— I mean that's me for mm-hmm. sure. I just always want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always trying to figure stuff out, sure. and you know there must be something behind this. I'm sure, and uh-huh. how could it be so simple as uh, you know? So anyway, that's what I think. That was the main thing I got from there.
1: Okay. Any anyone else have any, any thoughts about, it or did it make you think of anything in particular?
2: bother asking your rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> well, rabbi, why did I look down at my pants and suddenly
1: <laughs> find this organic That's sticker right. on there? Yeah.
3: It came out of nowhere.
1: So so for me, what, the reason that this stood out to me, and, and it I, uh, really stood out to me in my time at seminary, because you know, the reason it stood out to me, again, it's not a perfect illustration necessarily, but quite often I think we are always wanting, we want to figure everything out. Whether it be, you know, specifically like theological questions, uh, eschatology—what exactly is going to happen in this particular sequence at the end of times—and what does this mean and what does that mean—and there's a word that I think um, you really don't like.
3: Neurotic.
1: Uh, no, well, the word's tension. Quite frankly, if you read, if you study, the, it's like almost the more you study Scripture, the more you try to figure things out. Um, there's a, what they call, uh, when I was in seminary, it's usually usually the answer, you're, you're, you're given an assignment like, figure out what, who hardened Pharaoh's heart, for example, in the book of Exodus. Or what do, to, what do tongues mean in Acts 2? What exactly is that all about? Or, who are the 24 elders in, 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 in the book of you know, Third John or something? And it's like, you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig. And often you come up with a, a both and. It's this and this. or It's not just this or this. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Did, did, did Pharaoh harden his own heart? Yes. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. But quite often we don't want to come up with that answer that puts things in intention, and so that's why I think this is where this clip kind of helps me. Is like, is it good? You know, we don't have all the answers, and we want to figure out all the answers all the time. And a, a big part of a Jewish mindset, and uh, I'm not saying it's exclusive <laughs> to the Jews. It's just the clip worked, and I do think it is actually uh, Rabbi Kaim had us read a book in, in one of his first, I think, his second class that we had with him and it was called Not in Heaven by a guy named Eliezer Berkovitz. And most of the class hated the book because the book would come up with these kind of, you know, this and this are both the Word of God. In other words, this is the interpretation that these, you know, eight rabbis over here to my right have decided and concluded together that that's the, the correct interpretation. But Rabbi Elan and Rabbi Don over here, they've decided that that's the interpretation. We believe this is the interpretation but you know what? We're going to write this one down too, because you know what? We might change our mind one day, and maybe that will go with this interpretation. So the point is, we don't we don't like that kind of stuff. That we don't like that kind of tension. And the book of Esther, I believe, um, is a book that can can create some tension, primarily because of the the, the the issue. You know, is God involved? Did God do this? You know, we we talked a little bit about that on Shabbat, but that's one of the biggest questions and one of the one of the um, The arguments about the Book of Esther is, you know, really should it be in the canon of Scripture number one? And if so, you know, or if not, why? And usually the reason is because, well, God, you know, God's not mentioned in there. And and on the one hand, you know, it says that that there was, you know, please go go fast. You know, and Esther fasted and Mordecai fasted, and we make the assumption they fasted and prayed, but that's not what it says. And so that's just one example. But the idea of God not being in there, um, I think. Bothers it. This is just one thing. It's not just the book of Esther, but we're talking about the book, um, and we can look at all the the reversals in the book and the idea of help coming from another place and all this stuff. And we want to say it's definitely God. But I think there's there's definitely there's ambiguity because in the Hebrew it's not it's not there in the, in the older in, in the those oldest manuscripts it's not there. Um, it's not in Qumran either. But um, well,
3: David, it's it's crystal clear. Yes, yes. God is there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think, I mean, to me so it is. is.
1: So this is Rabbi Diane's opinion. Maybe, maybe we'll take this as the majority opinion, which I, I agree with I, I
3: really didn't think that until, you know, you read it last week. And then all of a sudden I just like was putting everything together. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, this is crystal clear. And, of course, what am I basing it on? My own opinion.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, my own experience, too. Because it talks about, I think if I remember right, maybe I don't remember the scripture right, you could tell me if I don't. But doesn't um, Mordecai um, put on sackcloth and, and, and ashes, and he's mourning and he's grieving? And I always thought that there was prayer involved with that.
1: It's another one to it's, put on the side of. There's another one to put on the side of. Boy, it sure seems like God, and this guy's religious, and but, so forth.
3: You know, and, and well, it's not so much religious. It's like not worrying about the religious part. I'm thinking this is a time when you hear from God. And then, and then Esther says, "Also, um, tell everybody to fast and pray." She does not. The, she doesn't. She just no, says that, fast. That, that's the
1: point. No, she says, "Tell them to fast."
3: Well, I just don't. I, I fasting and prayer go together.
1: Amen. I mean, th- again, so we're we're, we're talking. I mean, this is not to, to argue the points, but the I mean, the point is, it, it,
3: it doesn't. It
1: doesn't say it. It doesn't but, say it. But it's
3: crystal clear. How are you going to get through three days of fasting without praying? Number one.
1: Uh, Gandhi did a lot more than that. Oh, my God. And he God. prayed, you know. do you have a question? You. Were...
3: Well, oh. I was just thinking um,
2: what happens in the book and uh, uh, what we know of Israelite and Jewish history, mm-hmm. that whenever the Jewish people are delivered, it can right. only be God. So whether the name is there or not... Right. Um, it it corresponds
3: to so many other events mm-hmm. in Jewish
1: history. Yeah.
3: And where are you going to get the courage to do that kind of thing so, oh. if, if God doesn't fill you somehow?
1: So far, wrap, we'll wrap up some, some conclusive statements I have. We'll wrap up kind of these, these ideas. But I guess I wanted to be aware. I'm not necessarily arguing for the fact that God's not in the book. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. He's not listed in the book. And these are some. Of, and this is one of the... You'll come across some things about that. I'm going to read a, a few quotes from people, and you can, as Heim says, you can... Eat the fruit, spit out the seeds, and if you ever heard him say that kind of thing, but you can eat the fruit and spit out the seeds here. Uh, and th- so, what I'm going to read right now is not is not uh, my writing, just so you know, not what I'm saying. Um, but um, this is someone. This is a this is an author that's talking about the author of Esther that we don't necessarily know who the author, the biblical author, is per se. So they say by refusing to exclude either possibility, meaning the possibility that God is. Involved in orchestrating all these things and the possibility that God is not orchestrating all these things Um, by refusing to exclude either possibility. The author of the book conveys their belief that there can be no definitive knowledge of the workings of God's hand in history. Not even a wonderful deliverance can prove that God was directing events, nor could threat and disaster prove his absence. You're saying? like, we, In other words, when we say, God is great, God is great, we usually tend to say that when things are wonderful. But if things aren't wonderful, we don't want to say, well, God's not great or God's not there. Okay? So That's what they're saying there. The story's um, ambiguity, it's indeterminacy, uh, conveys the message that the Jews should not lose faith if they, too, are uncertain about where God is in a crisis. Israel will survive. That's the author's faith. But how this will happen... He or she does not know. Events are ambiguous, and God's activity cannot be directly read out of them. Yet they are not random. So again, we've got this. I'm reading tension. Okay, um, there is tendency to equate religious uncertainty. Okay, religious uncertainty, and we all we're certain of everything. I mean, there's certain things we're certain of, but sometimes we're not completely <laughs> certain. But there's a tendency to equate religious uncertainty. Um, with a stance of skepticism and to view doubt as a willed repudiation uh, or a willed <clears throat> denial of belief. But the question, quote, who knows, does not foreclose options. It may express an attitude of faith as well as doubt. If anything is excluded, it is disbelief. The author of Esther wishes us to hold the faith even when lacking certitude and an understanding of details. To act in such circumstances demands special courage, but the demand is not a rare one. Many people are called upon to act on a faith that is hope, sometimes sometimes hope, more than conviction. Um, let's see if I am going to keep going. Oh, I'll finish the last when So, uh, when we, we scrutinize the text of Esther for traces of God's activity, we're doing what the author made us do. The author would have us probe the events we witness in our own lives in the same way. He, this, the author is teaching a theology of possibility, the willingness to face history with an openness to the possibility of providence, even when history seems to uh, weigh against its likelihood, as it did in the dark days after the issuance of Haman's decree. Okay, so that's a little something for you. But again, yeah, well, there's lots of pieces of evidence I've got, and I'll probably talk about some of those as we go along. But any any uh, thoughts about about that that statement or plenty.
3: Okay. I I just feel like, okay, one thing I heard, and I truly believe this, I bought into this hook line and sinker, is courage is um, fear that said its prayers. Now, we can't look, you know, I think sometimes with Esther we downplay it, Uh but this is serious business. I mean, just imagine, if you go in and see Haim and he hasn't invited you, you could lose your life. Uh Just Esther same thing if i go in un- uninvited to the king i could lose my life that is i won't be here after that mm-hmm. i mean so you can't do something like that fearlessly nonchalantly let's see pencil in get my nails done get my hair done so if the king offs me i'll look nice in my casket you know i mean mm-hmm. you just it can't be something that you just Oh well, another day at the office. No
1: circumstances. Circumstances tend to dictate what we're willing to do and what not, we're not willing to do. So and anyone, I, anyone, you willing to jump out this window right now?
3: No, not until I've said my prayers at least and got. Forget your like prayers. Me Forget too. your prayers for a minute. <laughs> God <laughs> God are you, are you willing to
1: jump out right now? Well, right I'd, have, now. To, I'd
3: right. have to jump out, with knowing that that's what I was supposed to do. No, no thought. To no be thought. We
1: jump out right now. So there's a no. fire now, and the only way out is that way. All of a sudden, all, all these contemplations and all this prayer and all this—that's sort of. All sudden, First, I'm going to
3: have to make my way through that window. Oh, you will so That I won't even be a thought.
1: That won't be a thought. My point is, sometimes you know, circumstances definitely dictate. Uh, and again, this is not to say we're faithless, but certainly circumstances dictate when things, you know, it's something you wouldn't do before, you would do. And it's not so much, I would only do it if, if the certain, you know, if, if the, the, the the God was telling me and so forth. I think you know there are times like that. I, you know, I remember watching Schindler's List. You know, the last thing I'm thinking about, it, no matter how angry I get with my kids, is taking them taking them next door to the neighbor's house and saying, here, you raise them. But that certainly happened when the time was right. All of a sudden, something you never would have even contemplated became a real reality. If you, you know, in that situation, where you know, what what would be the case? So circumstances certainly change. Certainly change uh, what we're willing to do, and so forth. Um, but the story of Purim, of all the other things, I want us to remember that it is one another one of those very um, what I call thin threads of the Bible that that continue on the line. Uh, of the Jewish people, the Messiah that he wouldn't even exist. I mean, who I was talking to some, someone about this, I can't remember. he was a, a, a Christian guy, and we're talking about the Bible. And the truth is, the Book of Esther. No one's really thinking about it in that sense. I think, you know, that this is a, this is this is this, this is directly related to the Messiah. If you look at it that way, yes. in that sense of this being a very thin thread um, of Scripture preservation. So that alone, and maybe I did say that on Shabbat. That alone would tell me that. This is God's hand because this is part of His plan to preserve, you know, to preserve the the line of the Messiah.
0: One of the best things I think about Scripture, though, is that we don't know everything. Yeah, and I think that's actually a good thing because it, first of all, keeps us desiring, keeps us seeking after the Lord. But it also it also helps us to um, when we when we do find things that are revealed to us. Those great mysteries, and we can understand them better. I think we have a different appreciation for them. I also think that it teaches us to be risk
3: takers. I believe this is what I should do. I need the support of my community. It does seem kind of sketchy here, mm. but you but you step out in faith because that's what she had to do. Sure. esther did mm. I mean to me, it's clear. It also reminds me to pray. Uh-huh. To pray. And, it, you know, you can't be sure of an outcome until after it's history. But to me, it's it's just a perfect picture of stepping out in faith. And, and faith to me, that's that big, where you're going go to go into somebody, into something, and they might kill you, uh-huh. um, kind of thing. You're willing to take that chance. Uh, I think that just just shows me that you know that a, a shows me of times when I've stepped out mm-hmm. and just said, "Okay, God, I don't really know what the ramifications of all this are going to be, but I believe You're with me, and I believe that this is You're guiding me, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do it." And that's yeah. so. That's what that's what I get from this. Look okay. at. Well,
2: I may,
1: as we go through this, I may do a little more, just sort of, what I would say, shotgunning just some some diff- random, more random stuff here and there. Um, one of the um, one thing I wanted to point out that, and I'm not sure this may be re- re- reviewed for a lot of people and maybe not for other for others of you. Um, one of the um, one of the things, if you look in chapter three, that, as far as Heyman's background, this, and this is disputed, just so you know. I I, I tend to 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 agree uh, with regard to Heyman's background and kind of. Because, again, one of the other points is, well, when, when Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, was it because, is this, is this you know, him saying, I'm a Jew, I'm, monoth- I'm a monotheist, and I'm not bowing down to you for that reason? And again, some people say, yeah, absolutely, that, that's the whole point. Well, he had to tell people he was a Jew. It may or may not have been very obvious. You know, Haman was dressed very Jewishly the other day in his <coughs> Mordecai costume. But I'm not so sure that, that was the, um, the people were so easily identifiable at that point. But in, um, in chapter 3, it talks about Haman, and it says that he is the son of Hamadata, the Agagite. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and this is where people will argue this, but I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty clear because of the way the story progresses, and something else I'll get to here also is that, that Haman was, in fact, a descendant of Agag. And most people here probably know who, who that is. Um, the enemy of the Jews from, Saul, from uh, Samuel chapter 15, First Samuel chapter 15, where, where Saul was um, ordered to completely kill, this word that's so easily uh, translatable uh, to haram, uh, everybody, um, at the and time, put under that. the bed. Ba- What's that? And, and he, did and he didn't do it. Um, he wasn't supposed to keep the people or the plunder, but he didn't do it. He killed some, uh, but not all, and he left he left Agag, and he left some of the, the stuff as well. Samuel came along, killing Agag, but that is the moment when the kingdom was taken away from Saul. Uh Diane.
3: <laughs> <laughs> who are who is Agag? I mean, where, what modern day? What, where are they from? I mean, in time, you know, fast forward to today, who are they today? What do they call? What name do they call themselves by now?
1: I don't necessarily know. Do You happen to know? No. Do they
3: still exist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they exist?
2: They well, burn. Like that. That's a question. Yeah. You yeah. Know. A, I don't know. I, I suspect not that the Agagites of that of twenty five hundred years ago. Uh,
3: well, I, I I don't know. I thought maybe did they did they like reinvent themselves and become Syrians or you know I
1: don't, don't know, I don't know. Um, for, for the for the relevance of this story though when you're talking about the time period from from Samuel to to here in in Esther um, again I think it's I think it's, it's 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 pertinent it's relevant there if we consider that that Haman was a descendant of Aeg and then you've got Mordecai uh, who is actually a descendant of Saul. Um, so, so when Haman, you know, the, I think, so, so again, did Haman not bow down? I mean, did Mordecai not bow down because he was a monotheist and everyone knew he was a Jew and that's the reason? Or did he not bow down um, because of the family history here? I think, did he know? <laughs> well, I think this is where I'm getting, I think the answer, so again, why did he not bow down? Was it just because I'm a, I'm, I believe one God and the Shema and, and I'm living this, this Jewish lifestyle and walking to synagogue here in Persia, or was it because of the the, the, fam, the family history? Mm-hmm. And, and my answer, I think, my, my opinion again, do we know with certainty? There's tension. Yep. Not about you know what I mean. This is why I started with the video. Uh, the uh, I think it's an answer of, of both, probably both. You know what I mean? That it's a little bit of yes, tension. That's a picture of tension um, that, that we see there. Um, See, so, yeah, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that, I and I don't think we can know with any kind of certainty, for sure. But that is, that is again, another picture, I think you've got a discontinuous thread, and if I were to fast forward to the end, multiple times towards the end of, um, of the book of Esther, when the Jews did kind of overcome their enemies and so forth, they, it's very specific that it says they did not take the spoil, they did not take the plunder. They did not take this spoiling. it says about three times there in chapter like 9 and 10 or 8, 9 and 10. And it wasn't because they weren't allowed to. In fact, the, the decree against the Jews was exactly that. And it's rumored, well, how could Haman have promised all this money into the king's treasury and so forth? Well, duh, he was going to kill the Jews and take their stuff. Um, and then the opposite was the case when the reverse uh, edict was issued for the Jews to be able to protect themselves that not only could they protect themselves and go after those who were against them, but they also could take—they could plunder them, men, women, and children, and stuff. And it specifically says multiple times, I don't know if I underlined it or not, um, that, they, yeah, in fact, in chapter 9, it says that uh, they, this right, they killed the ten sons of Haman. It says the, the enemy of the Jews, the ten sons of Haman, but they did not touch the plunder. Then you've got a little further in chapter 9, verse 15. It says the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred persons in Susa. But it did not touch the plunder. I'm sure, that's disjunctive syntax. I'm guessing right there. <laughs> <laughs> trade, trade. Um, and then you've got uh, the next verse in sixteen. Now the other, I'm sorry. Uh, now the other Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives, and gained relief from their enemies, and killed seventy-five thousand of those who hated them. But they did not lay hands on the plunder. Um, that may be the last one. So again, you've got that. You got that. Th- three times repeat. I think very, very clear. Um, I think it's a, co- a connection. Again, another connection with a, with with the, the, the biblical record. Um, let's see here. Well, why didn't they take the plunder?
3: What did the well, rabbis you're say? You're asking a
1: great question. Now, what the rabbis say? I don't know. I haven't studied the, the rabbinic right, text. But, means... but but what I'm what I'm mm-hmm. what I think from a, from a scriptural standpoint, I'm going to say. That they made, they're they the whole idea of Mordecai not bowing down, is sort of making up for history. I mean, is, is, it, spo- is it said there? No, seems pretty, pretty uh, makes a lot of make a lot of sense. And for the same reason that you know back then we messed up, we didn't kill Agag and we did take the plunder we weren't supposed to. We're not going to touch the plunder here. You know, there could be other explanations for it. Believe me, the rabbis have explanations for everything. <laughs> they got they've got an explanation why there's you know. A letter that's used. Why is it an olive, not an iron or something? Believe me, they'll explain why it is and be sure. And some, and some will be more like this guy. We don't know. The NIV
3: footnote is, is, uh, confirms exactly what you just said. Oh, does it? Okay. So yeah, there you go. The NIV. Rabbi yeah, yeah. NIV agrees. Rabbi NIV agrees.
1: <laughs> that's wonderful. So let's talk for a minute. I want to talk for a minute about this idea of um, being in the right place at the right time. This is from chapter 4. When uh, you don't think so? She went in the right place the right time?
3: Well, I yeah, I do believe I I believe that it was it was to me it was just God. Oh. It kind of like happened that way. I don't think it was by chance. I don't I just think that
1: Now we're talking about Esther being yeah, in right, the position she I was believed,
3: in. I believe yeah, I believe M- Mordecai's words. Maybe this he's just saying. Right. Hey, just saying, maybe you, this happened for such a time as this. So on the one hand, we've got... Not to
1: glorify you. On the one hand, we've got one of the first amazing coincidences that out of all of the, 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 the young maidens, right, yeah. that Esther was chosen.
3: Yeah.
1: First, That's one of the first coincidences. Yeah. Then, she, So she's from that little thread, yeah. right, she becomes queen, and she's been queen for four years at this oh. point. Yeah. Oh. The point that, that she has to go into the king. Um, so on the one hand... Yes, and when she goes into the king, remember, I mentioned a little bit of this on, on Shabbat, I believe I did, that she doesn't, does she fasts, so she's not saying, well, I better look as good as I can and be all ready for this this event. In fact, she's fasting for three days. Yeah. I've never fasted for three days. I've fasted before, and you know, after, <laughs> after half a day, you're not all that pleasant. And maybe and certainly after a day, you might be snapping. Uh, after three days, you know, again, I can only imagine. Some of you may know what that's like. I've heard it gets easier after the first 24 hours. But the point is... In the physical, she wasn't necessarily looking her best or trying to look her best. However, she did get dressed up in her robe, I mentioned that, right? She did think out a plan. She didn't just, you know, say, "I'm just going to go in there and then, if he, you know, if he lays the scepter down, I'm just going to just blab it all out." No, please help him. No, she had a plan. It was protracted over that. Did she continue to fast? After? Did she eat at the luncheon? Did she eat at the next luncheon? I don't necessarily know. I don't believe it says. That, that whether we know that she could have been fasting for five days by the time she you know brought the the message to the king, the point I'm trying to make is that she was she was she, she had been God I think did put her in, in in that position she'd been there for four years she put on her 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 queenly robes right she didn't just put on some old sweatpants right she walked in in the authority that she'd had and she wasn't like she just had been queen for a day you know. Um, Things take time. She'd been doing whatever whatever she was doing. She had done it for she had done it for four years. So she had a little bit of authority behind her in that respect. Um, And so, so when we talk about being in the right place at the right time, I think often we think, man, it was just you know, um, it's like I was delayed in traffic. And that got me at the grocery store just in time to find a front row parking spot. You know, we think that kind of stuff. You know, where I found a $20 bill on the ground. I mean, just the right place at the right time and something happened. Or I I was at Chick-fil-A one time, I remember, and we were there and a guy came around and was giving out free milkshakes. Man, this is the right place at the right time. You know, that's, I think, what we tend to think about, the right place at the right time. And there's a little bit of yes and no. The yes part of things is God puts us in the right place at the right time. The part that I think we overlook sometimes is, man, it's all God. He just put put me here and he's going to have to do this and that. And I think we overlook the fact that we need to uh, develop our skills, (laughs) if you will. You know what I mean? Well, it's
0: interesting that you say that because um, the Torah, in a sense, does not recommend, it did not recommend that um, Jews would marry within Gentiles, with Gentiles, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's interesting that Mordecai chooses to give Esther to a Persian king, you know, if if he's as Torah observant as we think, or as as godly as we think, we don't know the circumstances that motivated him to include Esther in going. Well, into let me
1: let me give you a little insight on that, Mike, because it's it's good it's great that you brought that up because he's definitely there. And in I'm a... just
0: saying, in the right place at the right time, how that kind of plays out. You know, is Mordecai here in sin in doing that, okay. or you know?
1: Right. In fact, uh, let's see here. It's, uh, uh, let me see where we are here. I any more, what? It's
0: chapter 2. Right? Yeah, I know, I'm looking
1: here. Um, this thing is right after verse 5. You so in the king's order, and either... And, and so you've got, and I'm not sure what it says in the Hebrew. I'm sure, Len, you could tell me what the, if the Hebrew says there. But the big picture here is, Michael, what you're saying, Michael, is well taken because the truth is, were they living in, quote, sin? There's no way they were living in accordance with the Torah, uh, explicitly in, in Persian. In this situation, you've got, I think, the whole situation was honored. God protected the line. Uh, God, I think, put her in this place completely against what would be accepted in the, in the Torah. I don't believe Mordecai gave her like all for Esther. It says, it says, when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, this is the edict and the order to gather up the, you know, the, the maidens in the land. This is chapter 2, verse 8. It says, "And when, he, when, when many young women were gathered in the citadel of Susa in custody of Heggai. Esther also was taken into the king's palace, and I don't know what the Hebrew is there, but my guess is there wasn't much choice that, that yeah, they had li- living do. in Susa. So- right. Yeah, and so you've got you've and got maybe do. up to that point she was living. I mean, obviously living as a virgin. I'm sure that that is the way of the land, and that is the way it should be. But when you're talking now, she goes into the king's palace, and then it's pretty clear what you know what happened there. You know, when it was each girl's turn. It says she went in at nighttime. She could take what she wanted. She returned in the morning. I doubt they played Scrabble all night. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's pretty clear why he liked her in a lot of ways, and maybe not the only reason, but I think it's pretty clear that she was part of a harem. Um, she hadn't seen him for 30 days, right, when she went in. I mean,
0: as a father with two daughters, I would not.
1: Oh, you wouldn't want to, but I still, i don't believe there was much choice. It's not
0: much of a choice. No, I don't believe there's
1: much choice in the situation. Uh, so they weren't living a, a righteous lifestyle, so to speak, according to to, to Torah. Um, and even though she was the king's king's wife, again, when she had when she ended up going in to see him, she says he hasn't even called me for thirty days. Now this is being recorded, but I, you know, I, listen, you know, I, I'm not. Thirty days is a while. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, if, and if he didn't want to see his wife in 30 days, he's either on his deathbed or he had some other entertainment of some kind uh, to, keep, to keep him occupied. And so and he had a hair. I mean, these girls. Were, you know, so the point is, yeah, things weren't necessarily according to Torah uh, in, in, this, in this situation. So on the one hand, you got you're in the. Uh, am I saying to for us to you know to synchronize with society? And be, no, we are, to li- we are we are totally li- right. We are to, we are we are called to separated living. There's no there's no question about that. But this is about what, what what God can do. And specifically, I'm, I'm talking about being in the right place at the right time, and what does that what does that mean? Um, was Esther complicit? What could she have done when she got gathered up? She could have fought from the beginning. I'm not going to the king's palace, all this kind of stuff. But I believe God honored, and this was, was all part of his plan. And again, that's another hard one for us to get our minds around, because, boy, it doesn't seem like it's right. It doesn't seem right. I, mean, this is- I
3: think you know, though. That's what I keep trying to get across, and I don't think I can. I think that... I think that somehow you know either you get you feel like, yeah, this is something I should do and that's spiritually led, or you feel like, mm, no.
1: I think in the case of Esther again, there's a lot that's not written here. But I think in the case of Esther, um, my, the way I read it is that she was, she was living, you know I said it, I said this on Shabbat that she was living a good life. things were going well. She had everything provided for her. She's living in the king's palace. She had servants herself. Uh, she wasn't hurting for anything. No. Why? And she didn't want to. She didn't want to risk the, any of that. Certainly for her life. I and mean, she thought, why? Why? Why risk a good thing? But, but again, I do think that she was acting in her role as queen. She had the robes, and she did things properly. And uh, certainly, <clears throat> the king recognized her as such. When you read um, chapter five and verse three, this is after Esther comes in. He doesn't say, "Oh, Esther, what's up, babe? How you doing?" You know, "What's up, esty Pooh?" You know, he doesn't say that. In fact, the Hebrew here says, uh, literally, "What it says what is to you?" Like, "What what is to you, um, Esther, the queen?" You know, "Malacha Esther Hamarcha is what it says. Very, very, very First, deliberate. This is this is chapter five, First, <coughs> in verse three. that's exactly what it says what what is it Esther the Queen so cl- it wasn't like it just his, you know hey baby what's going on how are you and honey and so forth he recognized her as Queen there was something there was it the robes was it the way she came in what, was it that she knew because she had been in this role for four years what this meant to go in and how she was to do it and where she was to place herself and all these things she 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 had been the queen again for four years and and my in my point for making making a kind of parking here for a moment is that idea of does God have his hand on us at all times? Is he sovereign? Does he does He gift us? Does he put us in the right place at the right time? I believe he absolutely does. But uh, my encouragement or my application here, if you will, is to not overlook our part in it, our part in being ready and prepared and, again, developing our, our skills in a sense and not just necessarily relying on the fact that, well, when, when, when the time comes, God will see me through. Yes and no. Uh, we were praying about it earlier. I- we can see a slight difference between the idea of, of a blessing and a miracle. okay? And, and I don't want to get too much into this, but I think the idea that blessed is the person that walks with God and so forth, the ashray, the, the, right? Ashray the, Ha'am, the, the blessed is the man who does not walk in the council, who walks with God. There's an idea of being blessed, and I think all of us want to be blessed. And I believe all of us should have that as our goal, to be blessed. <clears throat> Do we want to experience miracles in our life? I think yes as well, but miracles are, are the more of the kind of punctuated things, you know. You're in desperation in a situation like this and a miracle seems to happen. Or, you know, you're, you're driving somewhere and you, and, and you, you know, there's a flock of cows, or not a flock of cows, something on the road, <laughs> whatever you call a flock of herd of cows, <laughs> a flock of geese on the, in the pasture. The farmer's laughing at me. And somehow you miraculously, somehow miraculously the, the herd of cows parts and you drive through somehow or you, who knows? These are miracles. We have miracles happen and they're great, but we want to be blessed. We want to walk in God's blessing. And so that's, that's part of the idea of walking into God's blessing, I think, is the fact that we, that we hone our skills, that we recognize what God's given us. These places in the right place at the right time quite often. But there is a part that we have as believers. We, have people, we are people who have been sent to do a job. Everything we say is under the authority of the one who sent us. Um, we, recognize, we recognize that you know, there are uncertainties. We recognize that there are things that we need to do and skills that we need to develop and not not to overlook, okay? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that real quick before I move on to the next topic?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, okay. I just I just don't see why. <laughs> yeah, he talks <laughs> you know, like this, yeah. You know, I mean, to me, like I said, this year, every <coughs> year it's a little different when I read this or learn something or something wakes up in my brain or whatever, yeah. but I mean, to me, this year it's just so totally obvious the presence of God. His mm. name isn't spoken, no. But I mean, just the way people behave I mean who i 'm not going to walk up to you and say, "Look, Dave, if you do it, you need to do this because i I feel that God wants you to mm-hmm. i mean I, I I really have heard from on high that you need to do this if you don 't you 're going to die. You and your family, bye bye, nice knowing you. I would never say anything to li- like that to somebody unless." Mm. Unless I really felt like God said, that's serious business.
1: Sure, absolutely. And I would
3: never go into a king unaddressed. I mean, to me it's just perfectly obvious that everything came through prayer.
1: Yeah. Yes, Mr. Dunn.
4: Uh, Just a thought, of Isn't it wonderful that Mordecai loved his niece and took care of her Mm -hmm. and said to her, God will take care of this anyway. You have a choice here, and we're sitting in Calvinist land here. You know, free
1: will, you have a choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I did mention the choice part, didn't I? She didn't have to choose. But she had death, I say, death If you don't do this,
4: yeah. God will take care of it. Yeah. It'll get taken care of, but you'll be cursed forever.
3: So your there? family will die. Yeah. I mean, and, but, so you can <laughs> die so by going by king, you can die by king, or you can die by, you know, being disobedient. So, you know... Yeah, the
4: king is the easier one. You're right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) King, you remember me? (laughs) So, you (laughs) know... I was
2: thinking also uh, of Scripture that my people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're supposed to grow in knowledge. Mm -hmm. We don't always know how God is going to use that knowledge. And I think that most of our lives, uh, the Spirit of God works through us and we don't know. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're less aware of what he does than what we're aware. Mm. Uh, of know. that he does? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he does a lot more than what we know. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but uh, if we're supposed to grow in knowledge, we're suppo- we have responsibilities. Yes. And uh, so it's not all, well, the Lord will take care of it. Right. You know? And so we have, you know, walking with God, and you're right, where you say, "Ashrei, blessed, mm. is mm. the one who walks with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what blessings, it doesn't define right. the details of blessed. Right. But blessed can be that today I touched somebody's lives, uh, life and I don't even know right. that no. it was God working through me. It's not as
1: spectacular, that's why I mentioned the miracle part, because yeah. it's not always this, as spectacular as the miracle. It's, yeah. you know, other stuff. And
3: I, I think a lot of stuff was inferenced here, too, because... Or implied, you mean? Yeah. I mean, it was just like a, you kind of, like, could fill in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Because what would... Mordecai said to... He made the statement to her, I feel like, I feel like that came from God, yeah. to say something that strong to somebody had to come from God, but I also feel like, read between the lines... Maybe she said, "But Uncle Morty, my life here at the palace—it's so good." Mm-hmm. I, you
1: know. Yeah, right between the lines—that's what she was there, saying. Clearly, what so, she was saying between so, the lines. You
3: know.
2: Yeah.
1: Lots. There's a lot that's no, not there.
2: Not
1: you know. Again, I, I may have—maybe I said on Shabbat—were was, was, were things born out of, were things born from a position of fear? I said that towards the end of the book when people became Jews. Remember that? And was that just out of fear and they were nervous and were well, the Jews the tide seems to turn? I should become a Jew all of a sudden. Yeah, but again, is God can God reach people out of I and mean, God does actually often reach us out of an emotional position instead of a fear or, or a big excitement and and I want to flip on the other side uh, other side of this too because I don't want to you know we're all talking about it's wonderful and we see God's hand and we we do things that God tells us and we grow in knowledge and all this kind of stuff how about the Haman side of it for a minute I I was Haman this past you know Sunday <laughs> we know coming from a real this comes from real authority here. Um, <laughs> Look, think about him for a minute when he you know, we don't know much about his background when it starts off in chapter 3 um, You know it talks about his, his lineage and then it just says he was promoted after that now It was right after the story about of Mordecai fo- foiling the, the plot to kill the king was Haman somehow involved in bringing those two to justice We don't know could have been that could be that this was just a guy who was coming up and doing very well probably very successful quite frankly um, he leaves. Well, let me, let me now, and a little bit on that too. Think about this. We think about Haman. Boo! We all boo Haman, and we sh- we should boo Haman, right? Um, but I think for us, you know, did he have any other flaws? I mean, this is a big flaw, and I'll talk about the flaw at a moment. Um, but the reality of the reality of the story is it, that Esther doesn't tell us about any of the flaws. In fact, all we know about him is he was successful, and he was promoted. He was a uh, he was doing well in the world. Okay. He was arrogant. Uh, but again, we know that that's the that's the one thing we know. Now I'm going to call it a fatal flaw, because we do see that when Haman leave, when he has that first meeting with Esther and the king, right, that he leaves on top of the world. He's excited, goes home, brags to his friends, and and why not? He'd already been doing very well, and he's getting promoted and so forth. But this is the part where I don't want to necessarily for us. We can all you can point your finger at him if you want, but I want you to think about it this is the the jewish guilt finger at you just for a moment because i think it's important that all scripture is useful for us not just the oh this is the great place that this the the, the, you know, the god told me to do this and the sackcloth and ashes and the standing up in the right place at the right time and being bold in the face of death yes but is there a bit of haman in us are there any times when we've got everything in the world going for us we got 10 sons, the Bible says that you know, blessed is the person that's got their quiver full and it says sons, I believe it means sons and daughters I have to because i got a bunch of daughters but I, I believe children are a blessing period but the fact is he had 10 sons he had a home, he was promoted he was doing great but there was one little thing that bothered him and, and for me that really hit me uh, not this time, but years ago when I, when I studied this that really s- spoke to me in the sense in the, in the, if I'm honest with myself that that's me, <laughs> you know uh, you may remember I gave an example of my, uh, my, my minivan, when we got a minivan. It's got this color. I said, you know what color my van is, and someone says white, and I said, no, it's not white because it's an XLE package uh, of Toyota, and so it's Arctic Frost Pearl. It's, <laughs> actually, it's actually a premium color. It's not white. My little, my other Toyota's white. This one is pearl. <laughs> and and ah. so the color's beautiful, and I'm walking by the van one day, and it's this beautiful pearl van, but I noticed a little ding, right? Oh. And you know where my eyes go to every time now? that one little thing. So my point is that we've got all this wonderful stuff going on in our lives, but we tend to look at that one little thing, and that is a fatal flaw. And I don't think this is where we can just point at Haman and say, ah, that's Haman. Yeah, he was arrogant. He had everything in the world, but this one little, this one guy that wouldn't bow down to him became his entire unraveling. And again, I'm not asking for any any volunteers or hands or admissions as (laughs) not to come forward and and, and confess. But I think, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we can see a little bit of that Uh, in ourselves as one. It's something we shouldn't overlook that this is just Haman's problem and it's not something that's relatable to us in any way. Um, I think the fact is that we really don't get the depth and ugliness of our sin that needs to be blotted out. And that we don't realize uh, what we set in motion when we are prideful or when we are also dissatisfied. I don't think we realize just the ripple effect that, that can happen. Because we can see, certainly, that had a major ripple effect uh, in, in Haman. I mean, you talk about... I mean, you can imagine for, for a minute, by the way, just, I mean, how things... I mean, there's things in your life you want to turn around, I'm sure. But can you, can you imagine just for a moment the reaction of Mordecai? Look at chapter 6, verse 11 uh, for a moment. You're talking about a guy um, that was in sackcloth and ashes a minute ago that was so desperate that, again, he might have been threatening that he was going to kill his own cousin, possibly. Like, you don't think you're going to escape. I mean, it's actually kind of a threatening language that he says to her there um, when he says, go in, to, go in to speak to the king. Maybe you're there for a time and place as this. Don't think for a moment that you will escape. I mean, she was the queen for Pete's sake. You would think she's going to be protected. She probably would have been safe. But he So was he threatening her? Whatever. That was his situation. And then in chapter 6, verse 11, uh, this is after Haman gives the idea that he would like, or that probably, I'm sorry, that the man that the king wanted to honor would like really a lot, right? Um, he says, Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. I'm sorry, right before that. I apologize, wrong verse. It says, So Haman took the robes and the horse and robbed and robed Mordecai and led him riding through the open square of the city, <laughs> proclaiming, Thus shall it be done for the man whom the king wishes to honor. You know, here comes Haman. At Mordecai. You're Mordecai. You don't know this has happened, right? Here comes Haman to Mordecai. The one who knew, Mordecai knew wanted to kill him and his entire family, right? <laughs> he was fasting. You know, well, what do you think he was thinking as Haman approached him? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. was, was that? And then this happened. And then this happened. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the absolute shock of, of of Mordecai there? You know, was that unexpected? It kind of reminded me of the the Acts three healing. You know, they were wanting one thing, and something else happened, completely different yet better. Mordecai was just hoping to be spared. Let alone being robed and frayed around the city. I mean, do you think he was like, just hop right on and trusted him? You know?
0: It kind of reminds me a little bit now that you're talking about it when <coughs> um, Jacob came to Esau. Yeah. And He was so scared, he, you know, <coughs> feared the worst and said all these droves ahead of him. And,
1: yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. I think it's just, it's just amazing. And
2: um, you wonder what Haman would have said had you known that. God.
1: Well, the script said he couldn't speak. That was what my line. Said, "Said he can't speak." Red right in the face. Oh, if you knew, if you knew ahead of time. nothing. He's all you. Give him a dollar. Yeah. Well,
0: it, it really brings to life that scripture: the Lord sets a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Yeah, exactly.
3: Uh, well, there's something kind of interesting here. I was reading, <clears throat> and it says, um, "This is." It talks about Haman goes and speaks to his wife Zeresh. Yeah. And. Oh, he recounts and all his friends and everything that had, had happened to him. Right. And um, his advisors and his wife said to him, "Since Mordecai, before whom you have begun your downfall, right. is of Jewish descent, right, you won't be able to stand again." A- another yeah.
1: exactly another mm-hmm. possible you know evidence. There's a f- there's a bunch of them. I, I can kind of uh, bullet point them real quick for th- There's more that I probably wouldn't. Even, we've talked some. We've talked about and there's some like that that I probably wouldn't have that I remember, but I wouldn't have mentioned. Um, but I do believe it is one. You've got the fasting, you've got Mordecai's refusal to bow, you've got the uncovering of the plot, you've got Esther being chosen, you've got the king's sleepless night, you've got the, the fact that the story that was read out of all the chronicles of the king, it was this particular story, and the fact that Haman was the one in the, in the, um, in the, in the court that morning. Um... Just Vashti being, we don't know about Vashti, why she, she, what, what her reason was, what her history was, but if she hadn't been deposed, this whole thing wouldn't have even taken place to begin with. But there's two things, that, there's two other ones. Um, we talk about the manner in which Mordecai lamented. The, the delay in the plot, remember Mordecai rolled the dice. Now, it was, a, it was 11 months in the future, and all this took place within like the first six weeks. They weren't procrastinating. Don't procrastinate, right? So there was What if it had, What if it had come up, rolled up, you know, snake eyes, and it was going to be tomorrow? You know what I mean? Yeah. The second or something like that. But no, it was 11 months in the future. There was plenty of time to to, to, to do it. You know, to do all that stuff. Um, Two little little looked at things as evidence. One is actually what Diane said. I think that that's it, one. The, the thing about these are the Jews. Um, but one is the, the way that this this, this festival is instituted. In fact, this is towards the end of the chapter, you know, it talks about this is what you're going to do. Um, that if you look at chapter nine, verse twenty, well, actually twenty-one, basically wrote letters to the to the Jews in all the provinces, enjoining them that they should keep the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and also the fifteenth day of the same year, year by year, as the days on which the Jews uh, uh, got relief from their enemies, um, feasting. and gladness and so forth verse 23 says so the Jews adopted as a custom what they had begun to do as Mordecai had written to them this is kind of the, the pattern of what we see like in Levit- the Levitical Feast, Leviticus 23 the way these feasts are instituted so again, very very biblical kind of pattern there um, and then I mentioned not touching the, the plunder and the spoil that's often overlooked as, uh, as one of the sort of evidences and so forth I want to read a couple of conclusions uh, for you here because um, we're just about out of time but when we read this story, or even other stories in the Bible, where we situ- see situations that look uh, sticky, or situations that there's going to be a close call, how do we react when we're reading these in the Bible? Well, we read about Yeshua getting delayed, for instance, when he goes to uh, Jairus's daughter is dying, right? Or Lazarus is dying. We see that he gets delayed, and if only Yeshua had come sooner, or if he had come earlier, uh, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have died, and so forth, right? Um, we don't we don't side with the characters in the book in those stories and say yeah if only Yeshua would have come earlier right no we don't we don't do that we realize that God knows what He's doing that, that Yeshua didn't didn't uh, get sidetracked and then we read about the miracles right well He raised him from the dead and this this happened He came, take off the unwrap the, the death the grave clothes right if that's how we react when we read the scriptures because I believe we all read them that way um, then. Why do we, and maybe we don't, maybe I'm not talking to anybody in this room, but why do we live our lives differently? Why is it that when things seem very topsy-turvy for us and our immediate focus um, is on ourselves and our situation, or worse yet, where is God, you know? Why do we read, it, why do we read our own lives that way? Um, I would pray that we would read our lives in that same way we read the Bible, that they would match the way we read the Bible, that the fact being that our first assumption would be that God is not on holiday, that he is involved. And he hasn't just sort of set things in motion in the world and stepped back, and that he, if only it would have happened this way, if only it would have happened that way, but then we read it the same way we read it as, you know, when we know the end of the story. We know that, that Yeshua didn't just get delayed, but he's going to raise him from the dead, and it's going to be okay. Um, and remember this, in the book of Esther, the whole setting, no one necessarily is being indicted or accused of having screwed up in some way. And that's why they're in this situation. In fact, historically, um, they were in this state of exile because of other people's screw ups. This is not to pass the blame or to say it to was other people's <laughs> screw ups. But we can very easily, the point is, we can very easily find ourselves in the same situation. You could be suffering from decisions that maybe you made. You could find yourself suffering from decisions that maybe you didn't make, things that sort of seem outside of your circumstance, and you have a choice. You can say, this happened to me, or this is because of this in my background, and so forth. But the fact is you really do have a choice to make in those situations. And the choices are you can try to you know, unravel all the pieces of the puzzle there, and you can try to uh, decide if God's ticked off with you. Um, you can decide, you know, what is it I need to fix? What is it I need to do? And, again, there is a piece of that with regard to, when I was saying, we need to increase the knowledge and work on our skills and so forth. Or you can trust God. So. I'll take one. We're two minutes here, but I'll take, you have a, you have a oh, Go
3: ahead. If you don't have time, that's fine. Well, I, mean, well, I was yeah. just going to say really quick, that yeah. I think that, I, I think the other lesson in this, though, is that we can overcome. We are overcomers. We can reach out in, in faith and mm-hmm. encourage. Mm-hmm. I mean, things were hard, yeah, in this chapter, but, you know, ultimately, what? People, you're alive,
1: Dave.
3: <laughs> I'm alive. That's
1: right, yeah. Dr. Delair, would you mind closing us in prayer and order?
2: Father, we thank you for your words. Thank you for opening our eyes to who you are, what you do, and, and uh, helping us trust you with our lives, with the ups and the downs. And, and thank you for the example of uh, Mordecai and Esther and their faith and their willingness to take steps forward. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us uh, walk with you uh, remember that you're there at all times, whether we see you, feel you, uh, hear a voice. Lord, we, we thank you for who you are. and we give you praise and glory for tonight and uh, <clears throat> help us by your Holy Spirit to just to mull over the things that we've heard tonight and really go over them in our hearts and our minds and <coughs> allow you to grow us with these things. And we pray this to Shemeshua, Hamashiach, and In Jesus' name, Amen.